Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are thrilled to have you back joining us this week. I hope everybody's in the the full swing of almost fall, or for those of you who whose kids are going back to school or work is shifting, you're probably in full swing of a whole bunch of stuff. So we're thinking of you and um, loving what the fall is going to bring here at Why Though. And especially today, we have such a, a special, special guest. But before I get into it, Tiffany, how are you doing? You know, um, I'm with uh, school, not starting till September and all the things. <laughs> <laughs> August 30th, actually. But I still have 10 days, guys, 10 days from the time of this recording. But I have something very, very fun to share. So last night, um, we had our annual fundraiser for SIP, which is the ministry I lead locally here in the Pacific Northwest of women. And Ashley, we did a white party and everybody dug in their closet or hit up JCPenney like your girl did. And oh, wow. Came Not JCPenney. No, Not JCPenney. No, listen, listen. I have oh, reasons. Lord. No, no, wait, wait. So girl, girl, girl. You know, I started you know like 90% of the people are judging you hard right now. Oh, well, you know what? Don't sleep on the JCP because wait till you hear the story. So I started Nordstrom. Here's the best thing about looking for a white dress at the end of August. Everything's on sale because it's the end of August and nobody's looking for white dresses. I mean, every everything you can imagine. I feel like I had so many picks, but <laughs> they're all extra smart, extra large. And I am neither of those. So I, I'm like sweating my just back and front off in Nordstrom. I tried on, I think, six dresses, locked myself out of the dressing room a few times. And then I just ping pong every place in the mall, Macy's, H&M, Black House White Market, Express. Like, I'm just going down the line. Might have even popped into Hollister because I saw something in the window that looked like a white dress. It was not. Uh, so keep going, keep going. And by the time, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's one store left in a Penny. And I'm like, this is a waste. I'm going to go to the rack or I'm going to go wherever. But I'm like, the countdown's on. i got to have this white dress can't wear a slip like what's the plan here people so I was like no I'm doing it I'm going to the JCP and wouldn't you know it I found the perfect dress had like a little mermaid like a little kind of going in and then at the knees it kind of like flared out it was a whole vibe I loved it it was 89 but couldn't have actually been 89 it had to be a, a just make you think you got a deal but it was $35 and I was so proud of myself and it is something I would definitely wear again Bam. Well, look yes. at that. The penny has the penny has uh, come up in the world since I was a kid. Oh, I mean, we shopped was... at Dillard's and Belk's and all the other small town things. Yes. But, you know, JCPenney was always that place where you're like, I think maybe there's better clothes at Walmart, you know? like right? Oh, there's sure. <laughs> I lo- you know, I, I had tried two different Targets on my way. Oh, yeah. Target has no white dresses. And if they do, you look like an Amish, like... You know, they had they had person. one cute one, and it was quite the opposite of Amos. It was see through, and it was like your Ooh, booty was okay. hanging out the back. Yep, so I was no like thanks. a little summer no tight one. Yeah, and no I was and you. brown skin. You can't. I can't be doing this this see through situation. No, yeah, that's no just thanks. it's it's just no, it's too much. But anyway, all that to say, y'all, I was feeling it. That was some fake lashes from Amazon. Nine dollars for a pack of fourteen. I was good to go. <laughs> Everybody looked great. White roses everywhere. It was a uh, it was really beautiful, and we raise some work to further the ministry. So really excited. I love that. It's awesome. How do you feel about your kids solidly in school now? They're good. We've only been in a week, um, but yeah, everybody's doing great. So we're glad. 
Mm, little man hanging in there for he's those full great. days. Yeah, <gasps> he's doing a good job. Oh, so exciting. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. It's good stuff. All right, y'all. Well, let's introduce our guest for today because she happens to be one of my favorite people and um, someone I, I would consider a mentor from afar. I fir- first learned about Danielle Strickland from my good friend, Noemi Chavez. And mm. she told me all about Danielle and her passion for justice and how she was just like the real deal Holyfield. And I met her in person for Women's Speaker Collective, which is one of the wonderful wonderful things that Danielle has launched and she'll probably tell you about a ton of the things because she's always starting these incredible movements that are empowering women and empowering people and loving folks generously all around the world. She is such a powerful person, an author, one of my favorite preachers, a true lover of justice. I don't think I've ever sat under her teaching and wasn't challenged where I thought, oh, okay. That one stung, and I need to work on that area of my life, or I need to open up my heart to more of the generosity of God. She's a wonderful human being. Danielle Strickland, will you please say hello to the Why Though people? We already love you. (laughs) Hey, Why Though people. I think that was the best introduction I've ever heard. Um, And like, honestly, I've heard a lot. So that was, (laughs) was remarkable. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you guys. We're so happy to have you. <laughs> so happy. And I before we get into the content of today, Danielle, you got to tell these people all the things. Like there there's so many facets to Danielle, you guys. Like she does so much beautiful work as Ashley mentioned. So can you tell I mean she mentioned Women's Speaker Collective, but can you tell us a little bit more about some of the projects and passions that you um, give yourself to? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you about a couple of the latest ones. So one, I'm piloting this really beautiful project um, called Global Peacemakers. And it's uh, ideally targeting 18 to 25 year olds around the world, um, highlighting sort of grassroots situations in fragile contexts. And it's bringing them together for this one year of mentorship, discipleship on Jesus-centered peacemaking. And I have this hunch now, like it's a pilot. So we would limit it to 12 people and they've got 12 mentors. And I've always done this discipleship training stuff my whole life, but for the most part, it's always in person and people leave their local context, come to be trained by me. And then the struggle to go back to the local context is real. And I've always been frustrated by this. So like, I literally was like, everyone has to go back. Like I made people sign agreements. Like I just like, cause this is not the way to do it. Right? Like we cannot, uh, take away local context from anything. It doesn't make any sense. So, um, and of course people thrive when they're like together following Jesus in a organized set apart place. Like, of course that's not the struggle. So, um, anyway, this kind of feels like a couple of things. It feels like that intentional, um, connection globally, which I think this generation, I think all the data is saying that this generation has more in common with its own generation than with its own cultural group. Mm which I think is like, what? That's like a milestone if there is one. And then also I just think about my own, like if I was 19 years old trying to like start out in peacemaking or ministry, how much of a formative difference it would make in my life if my ministry partners, my discipleship partners were like, you know, ministering at a refugee camp in Uganda and, you know, at work in in, uh, South America and things like that. So I'm really excited about that. But the training and the the guests and all that facilitation of the actual work on the side, like the training side is all us. So again, it's my hope to mobilize local context where they're doing awesome work. Mm. 
I love so, I'm excited. I'll keep you posted. It might be the biggest failure we've ever tried, but I it's, doubt it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun trying. Sounds brilliant. It sounds yeah, it I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that is such a challenge to feel like you're in this local context that has its all of its push and pull and then you go to a place where you feel like these are my people. This is my yeah. tribe. This is what I love. Yeah. And then you come home and feel like, "Wait a minute. These aren't all my people and I don't know how to implement these things here and I didn't expect this resistance or this difficulty." So I love I love that model of keeping it local and seeing what happens. Um that's really cool and really encouraging. I bet that feels really empowering for the people who are doing it. Yeah. And, you know, Ashley, maybe you can relate to this too. And, and Tiffany, maybe you too in your local work is that you, you want to raise up and train oh, gosh, yeah. people yeah. and yet you don't have the resources to do so while you're right. doing the local work. That's right. So that was my other, like I've been there, you know, and you're like, yeah, of course I could do an epic training center if I had the resources and the people to help me. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. part of me was like, Ooh, I wonder if we might be able to um, come alongside and help some of that meet because some of the best kingdom work I know are in these like small grassroots local work. And so again, like why are we, you know, pushing everybody to these like big centralized ascending sort of things that are disconnected from local grassroots. So, yeah, I I would just want to, touch on that for a minute longer. Ashley and I talk a lot about this off the air of how that's the next wave. It's not going to these big conferences that are two days and you spend thousands of dollars. It's it's cohort or walk alongside or one-on-one and life on life. And this is so, so satiating and it really meets those practical everyday needs. And I, I hope there's more of it. Well, I actually, I want to do a shout out for another thing that's not out yet, but this is going to be like, I don't know when it's going to be announced. But it's a call that we feel uh, Tammy Donahue, who's the VP of Foursquare right now, uh, she specifically like had a vision from God that um, she was uh, called to raise up 5,000 female church planters. Oh, wow. But to do it a different way. So church planting, different. (laughs) And um, so she was telling me about that vision and something sort of stirred within me. As you know, like much of my work is around empowering and like trying Mm -hmm. to release and trying to platform women and try to like, and then also I know because women have been forced in many respects, which I would rage against, but have been forced outside of uh, center power structures. I think as a direct result, they've strengthened the muscles required (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like adaptability and hospitality and working outside more organically. Like all of yes. those things I think are the future of the church, like you said. And I think women have mastered, you know, we were trained in that area, whether we liked it or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I feel like the great kind of upside down flip of God going, oh, great. I have this whole company of people that are ready for this. Oh, yeah. I got chills. Woo. Oh yeah. My. Okay. Okay. So that's going to be called, um, that's going to be called the company. And um, base, you know, just a little nod to Psalm 68, where God's like, great was the company of women evangelists. So, but again, like you said, Tiffany, it's going to be small, you know, organic. Mm. It's going to be less sort of like, you know, this, I don't know, this idea of like uh, building a building foundation, like a a skyscraper and more like a garden, Um, you know, which is, of course, much more of a better, it's a better kingdom image anyway, but we have a lot to learn. Yeah. I love that. It's beautiful. And I'm, I feel like I'm lucky right now to be in a church where my, the main pastor is female. And there is something about that that is 
I don't know, it feels so free and full of life and has not impacted, you know, how many men come or how many certain demographics come. It's just like she's wonderful at what she does and is a killer Mm. preacher and loves the people and loves justice. And I feel like that is you know, the future and to make room for it is Come so on. important to have, yeah. have females leading churches. Like this is not, it shouldn't be such a radical idea, <laughs> like, yeah. but it is, it really is a radical idea to have a church planter or a pastor who is female and can lead teams and do all the things. And it feels so strange to people, but I feel um, sitting in it, seeing the prophetic edge of it and what it looks like and how beautiful it can be. I'm really excited to see what you do there. Mm. Thank you. Thanks. So exciting. Anything yeah. else before we dive in? <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop. I think we could do this. We could do this for the whole podcast because uh, I, I feel, I feel like, like people have already got the their 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 take home, their takeaway after sharing that. Of yeah, I just feel like God is so creative, huh? Mm-hmm. Like there's just stuff all the time. Like I just feel like God is always at work, which is a really good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. When you feel some old things falling away and and some things falling in. Um, sometimes we can be, you know, despairing and not realize that actually God is, you know, take a look at nature. Things die all the time. Right. Yeah. Nature doesn't cry. It goes, oh, I wonder what's That's coming. Right. You know, yes. what's coming? What, what's God growing? So I'm, 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 I'm excited to participate with a God who's constantly creating. It's beautiful. Oh, Danielle, I could listen to you talk all day. Okay, we got focused. Tiffany, get it together. Um, <laughs> as we talk about some of your new work on hope, um, your prolific author and this new work, The Other Side of Hope. I'm, I'm really fascinated because you talk about these twin giants of cynicism and despair that threaten, that really can threaten or derail our emotional and physical health. And I'm curious first where this idea came from and why you felt led to address this now. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, I feel like this is like, it's such a no brainer now for people are like, yes, cynicism and despair. Like it's like so a part of everybody's life. So cynicism is the loss of faith in other people, um, which I actually think in the book, I spell this out. I actually think cynicism, the loss of faith in other people is really a loss of faith in ourselves as humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. I think the expectations of being a good human is, are like out of proportion to what being a good human really is. I think we have this like terrible, horrible theological, what I call the theology of despair, which is that at the heart of every human being is badness. I think that's like gross. And um, I feel like in this season, God is replacing that with actually the word before the, the badness, which is a word of goodness and sacredness. Um, and then I think despair is actually just where cynicism goes. It's the loss of faith in everything else and, uh, the absence of hope where I would say that despair is like a deadness of whether that is literally like, I know people have despaired in terms of like committing suicide, like literally just given up Mm -hmm. and the road leads to death and actually even still travel with people who are on that precipice. Um, and I also think there's a deadness to our souls that can happen or there's a deadness to our faith where we just literally give up and over to despair. And, and yeah, I think that many people are touching these places in ways that we maybe haven't touched in a long time. And I think that there's an opportunity in naming that and exploring that and not being consumed by being so afraid of that, that we won't ever mention it out loud. Um, that if we could do that, we might actually be able to rediscover 
what hope is in this present moment, and then also rediscover our own humanity. I love thinking about cynicism as the, the loss of hope in other people. I feel like I had never really considered it from that angle because I think, you know, I have a lean towards cynicism, but I had not connected that to a loss of hope in other people. I think that cynicism for me just feels like a, oh, that's just the way it is. Earth's going mm -hmm. to hell in a handbag. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how I always thought about it. But you're so right. I think yeah. what drives us there is the difficult experiences that we have with other people. And we are living in a time where, you know, there's scandal after scandal, there's pain and heartbreak. We live in a, in a world where we are exposed to, you know, racism and police brutality and sexism and all these things that we see in front of our face in a way that we didn't used to because we didn't have a computer in our hand. And so I think it's very difficult to, to sort of not lose your faith in humanity. And I think the other end of that is like, if you have a, a Pollyanna sort of perspective where you give, you know, the benefit of the doubt to everyone, but there's usually not good boundaries and there's not, you know, it's like, that's the other end of it. But how do you sort of find that middle ground of like, yes, people inherently are good. God is good. You know, creation is good. How do you sort of swing out of that um, lack of hope in others? I really love that. Mm. And, you know, just to be clear, so it's a loss of hope in other people because cynicism believes that everyone's operating out of their own self-interest. Mm. Mm. Um, so Gosh, that's the truth in, mm -hmm. on earth right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then but but what I think happened and actually I've been in places where I remember actually there's a guy that uh, flew us and has this very powerful ministry when we were formatting, uh, formatting Brave Global. And we were talking about like how we could get to girls before they were trafficked and sort of this empowering things of girls. And, and this guy who runs this like massive national ministry was like, look, can I fly your team down? We'll help you like hash this out. And just like, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it would be an honor to just serve in that way. Right. And I remember no, it was Noemi Chavez and I, and who else was there? Priscilla. We were all like, what do they want? Right. Like, what do these people want from us? Like, do they want brave? Like, are they going to take the minutes? Like, we were just literally like, Noemi was like, no, there's a catch. Like, this cannot be. Like, I am not new. Anyway, I know this guy. I, he Like, he wept when he heard about the idea. I knew he was moved by it. So we go to this thing. He pays the bill. We spend two days with these guys. I don't even know how much it would have cost. Hashing out what brave is, what it, you know, all this stuff. And at the end, he's just like, great, I hope this helped you guys. Like, what an honor to be part of this thing. Mm. And we're like, what? Like, do you want, how do you want to be involved? Like, what do you want? <laughs> like, we yeah. were literally, we spent the whole flight home dumbfounded that there is a guy who would spend his, with national platform and all these resources, who would spend his own dime in actually preventing girls from being trafficked. I mean, this is how... It, I mean, on one level, you're just like, well, of course there's a guy who would spend, like, of right. course and this guy was weeping about it. Like, he's moved by it. Like, God is at work in this guy. He's like, realizes that all the stuff he has is for something bigger than himself. Right. Then at the same time, we're like dumbfounded by it because it's so rare to see it. You know, like, right. just, wow. we've never That's really so encountered it before. So we're just like, what is this? But I actually do remember that, like, us just going, like, could it be? Right. That he just really wants to help. Like, could this be as simple as this being an altruistic act of kindness towards a thing that might help 
stop trafficking. So I think that it's both and. So cynicism, I think the more that you're burned and the more self-interest is sort of in your face and the more that you operate from self-interest, and this is the point I think in the book that was most challenging for me personally, is it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy um, Mm. where you assume the worst of others because actually you're operating that way as well. Right. Mm. That's so good. Uh, I'm really struck by how you pointed out depending on how many experiences we've had where others' self-interest has been on display. I think of as soon as you gave, you know, parameters around cynicism, I just thought of so many of us in our family of origin and how we discovered that others were operating out of a self-interest and we genuinely thought that there was care and concern for us and in reality, that's not what played out and how that can really form and shape us as adults and how we see the world. And even depending on everything from intimate parenting to what news we listen to, to, you know, and everything in between, like there's just so many things that form and shape this and how uh, so many of us can see that as a, as a leadership gift and like, no, this is an area that I, uh, of discernment rather than understanding what's, what's discernment and what's cynicism. I think being able to separate those two and, and knowing where each of them come from and how they each operate differently. I think that's what I'm really gleaning from this at the minute is just the nature of knowing and naming each of them. So we don't operate out of a place of cynicism when we think it's spiritual maturity. Yeah, that's a really good, and you know, one of the, so this book is actually a flip book. And, um, I actually had a call the other day of a guy who got the book on a radio and he was like, your publisher sent me like a broken copy. So I'm going to like, <laughs> and I was like, you're like, no, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. I was like, flip it over and read the back. And he goes, Oh, I get it. Like, it was so funny. Anyway, I don't know how many, uh, books these are going to be sent back to my publisher, but anyway, um, it's a flip, it's a flip book. So on one side is kind of the art of hope. What I would say is that glorious display that we all want hope to be. Yeah. Uh, and then on the, if you flip it over on the backside is this, uh, frame framework. Um, and it's inspired by this like trip to an art gallery I took with a friend of mine and we drove like a long way to see this artist that she loved. And when we got there, the art curator of the gallery had decided to do a thing called the flip side. And he had flipped every single piece of art over in the gallery. Mm-hmm. And we went, you know, and it didn't matter who the artist was. I'm telling you, they're all the same. The, the mm-hmm. other side of the glorious display of art is a frame. It's wood nailed together. It's like some canvas. It's some writing. It's a wire. Like, that's it. And I, she was furious, but I was really intrigued because I was like, (laughs) oh, what is the other side? Like, what is that in my life? Like, what's the framework? What are the things I have to nail together? What are the things that are essential in order for hope to be displayed in my life, for hope Mm. to be on display in my life? So, it's kind of both one side is these stories, pretty intimate stories and some pretty dark places where I discovered hope. And then on the other side is a framework that I try to live by that helps me stay hopeful. I love that. I feel like one of the things God is challenging me with in this season is wonder. And just thinking about how important for me, I'm feeling like hope and wonder are interconnected. And I never thought of that before because I'm not one of those people. I'm not impressed by much, to be honest. And I don't like that about myself, but it's true. Um, It takes a whole lot to impress me. And so I've been asking God, how do I have more wonder in my life? And how do I become, you know, 
hopeful about the ordinary things of life? And how do I see hope in, in the in, at school pickup line? And how do I see hope in my coworkers? And how can I bring wonder to a situation where we all might be kind of looking at the world like, here we go again, you know, the cynicism or despair that you talk about, Danielle. And I never had thought about the importance of wonder and to just remain a bit pure hearted. <laughs> you know, I, the last couple of years have made it so hard for me to stay pure hearted and made it so hard for me to not have a side eye or an eye roll. <laughs> you know? um, and I think like, could you speak to that? Like, what does it look like for people to cultivate hope or wonder in their daily life in that yeah. framework that you talked about? Well, that's great, you know, because one of my things about hope is that, first of all, hope is honest. Uh, mm, which is why right. in recovery circles, you share your experience and hope, right? Uh, you don't, you know, this, uh, idea of suppressing our darkness is actually, this is a, a d- addiction we have and a, a false idea that hope is happy, right? Mm, uh, yeah. hope is not yeah. happy. Hope is right. honest and we find hope alive. Hope is also not dead. It's not a stagnant thing that we grab. It's not a principle. It's a person. Uh, the last three things that will remain forever and ever are faith, hope, and love. Hope is a part of the eternal nature of God. That's why it's so powerful, I think. Whether or not people are even naming God, when you see hope and experience hope, there's something eternal that lights Mm -hmm. up in you. And we can feel that, but you don't, you can't really take it. You don't acquire it. You behold it. This is the thing. And this is what's frustrating about hope is we want it and we want to tuck it in and we want to like put it on our board and say, I have hope now. (laughs) And then the next day is completely different because hope is a living thing. So my favorite story in this regard, Ashley, and this might help you a little bit, is this this redneck guy. He called himself Redneck Al Mm -hmm. that I knew for years. And he went hunting every year. And every year he'd come back with nothing. And I would say to this guy, like, are you just the worst hunter in the world or what? (laughs) And he explained to me that when he was a little kid, his dad took him hunting to teach him how to be a man. And he taught him all this thing. And they came across this mother deer and a fawn. And his dad's like, okay, this is it. Like, this is your moment. And he taught him to breathe. And then he told him to pull the trigger, but he couldn't. Mm. And his dad took the shot, killed the mother. And as soon as he killed the mother, the shot rang out. He said, I just cried and cried Mm. and cried. And I was unconsolable in my grief. And my dad just like berated me for not being man enough to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. said, um, uh, so he said, I've never pulled a trigger since. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, but you go hunting every year. Like, I don't understand <laughs> <laughs> what's happening. And he looked at me with these wild eyes and he just said to me like these open, wide, beautiful eyes. And he said, have you ever seen a deer in the wild, Danielle? Oh. It's a thing to behold. and this guy goes (laughs) hunting to behold deer in the wild he doesn't shoot them he just goes he like spends days of his life and all this money on this equipment to sit with his son and show him what deer look like in the wild and when he told me that story i was like I want to be a hope hunter like that. Yeah. Right. That's, That's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> That's what that is, right? Is I'm going to yeah. do whatever is necessary to behold hope in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a Hallmark store. That's easy. Right. In the wild, like in the places where I need to like get low and get dirty and be cold and get yeah. honest and be, you know, miserable. And in that place, that's where I glimpse hope. You know, that's David right. saying like, where can I go? Right. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to hell and there I'm going to behold you yeah. in yeah. your wildest form. You know, that's hope. Mm. So powerful. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm so struck how you weaved 
honesty into the definition of hope and to to help us grasp just the nature of hope. Because as Ashley said, I think we think of hope as like something a little bit lighter and that's not the nature of it. Um, As we wrap up our time together, I'd love to hear more about um, not only the the nitty gritty of hope, but embracing true humility and love. You talk a little bit about this more um, in your work. And uh, what what does that look like when we're trying to move away from the cynicism and despair? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, this is great. I think that one of the greatest uh, things in my life that God has exposed by his great love is that at the core of my own self, I really thought I was completely depraved. Um, I actually, I didn't just think it, I was taught it. Uh, I practiced reciting it. I sing Mm. about it often. And the lens by which I viewed myself is through that lens. Um, even as a kid, you know, as a wayward kid, which I always used to say I was good at badness. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Until I had kids and I realized kids actually aren't naturally prone towards badness. Right. There's usually something wrong with them. Yeah. something's happened there's yeah. something like there's abuse there's harm they're hungry they're angry they're lonely they're tired there's something right. they're not fat yes. and um i remember actually some theological parents saying just wait till you're just wait till you have kids you'll understand this and i was like i still don't my kids 10 12 and 20 and i still don't understand that mm-hmm. because in my experience whenever there is something wrong there's a brokenness that happens in their relationships and in their own selves that's like ugh, that i want to help them heal um, to be he- to be healthy and to be whole. And so I really feel like my own work with the Lord is the more honest I am about the harm, the more honest I am about the brokenness, the more honest I am about that sorrow, which again, hope isn't happy and sorrow is not despair. Right. Mm. And so because good. we've assumed sorrow is despair, we've avoided it like the plague. And you see what happens when we don't get honest. Right. Um, we don't have hope, we lose hope. Like that's how cynicism grows. That's where despair gets, you know, even with whether you're a leader in a church that's abusing women and then pretending to be this great holy guy, like that's a sick, horrible, dark place to live. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the results of that are death everywhere. But so I, I think that that getting to the mirror and saying, okay, God, show me. Like, where is your goodness? Like, where is yeah. your truth? Like, where is the word that you spoke over my life that says very good? Yeah. And then like, if I can get there, if I can get there, then what happens is it liberates me then to be honest. Yes. Because the badness and the brokenness and the, is not the core identity of who I am. Right. Correct. It's there. I'm not, a, I, like I live in the real world. I know yeah. even the darkness of my own capacity. I understand that. I'm just saying that if I can get assured and honest enough that hope is at the heart of who I am as yeah. a human being, then it liberates me then to get really honest about the sorrow and really honest about the brokenness and really honest about the sin. Yeah. Uh, because it's not the bottom. There's That's there's a right. truer word than sin in my life and in everybody else's life as well. Man. So there's some digging required, but I, I feel like it's worth yeah. it. It's worth it. I love that. You know, um, did you ever, did either of you read Walter Brueggemann's book, Reality, Grief, Hope, Three Urgent Prophetic Tasks? Yeah, I feel like there's nothing by Brueggemann I have not read. Right, I'm the same. I'm the same. He's my favorite. But he talks about exactly that. And he has this whole section where he talks about if you don't plumb the depths of grief, you can never really arrive at hope. And part of plumbing the depths of grief is identifying with reality. 
And I really love that too, to think about how not only does that bring freedom to our personal lives, but it also is it's prophetic to do so, to yeah. name the reality and to Absolutely. grieve the reality and to have hope for the future and to imagine it together. I think that that is the task at hand for humanity is that we have a world we can create and we have to, as much as we are tempted to cynicism and despair, we have got to turn our eyes towards imagination through honesty, through connections, through relationship, through all the things that we've talked about here. And I think it's possible, you know, like we have to, we have to remind ourselves that it is possible to imagine a future that is better than the one we're living. And it's important that we do that. Yeah, actually in this season of telling the truth, you know, I've been actually rereading your book, Tiffany, just this day, cause I've been working on a resource and even in my own life of just like being a truth teller that aims for hopeful prophetic announcement. Yeah not just cynical, despairing, you know, exposing of, of the dark, but literally this like light, bringing light, bringing the possibility that there's a way forward, that there's hope, that truth isn't our friend. It's not our enemy. Um, it's been quite a season of like trying to maintain this truth telling in hopefulness. Yeah. Um, that really refuses the easy out of cynicism and despair. Because I also think cynicism and despair is a way out of the tension. It's a way out of the moment. It's like an easy out for like holding the space that's actually harder to hold. Um, Anyway, it's, it's, it's been quite a season of trying to actually not just write about it, but live it out. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, I encourage you, get honest with yourself. This would be a great episode to immediately find some time to journal afterward and see where have you leaned towards cynicism and despair rather than honest hope? Where have you uh, allowed yourself to be in despair rather than sorrow? I think that there is a lot to unpack. And I I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I thought of myself and some other people where I'm like, oh, okay. I see how we're cut off at the knees or I see how this is limiting our maturity or limiting our growth in a way that affects others because we have not grasped this very concept you speak of. So a a thousand thank yous for your time today. And why though you can find everything about the other side of hope, Danielle's new book in the show notes and more of her work. And she is somebody you are going to want to learn from beyond today. So we'll have all of that ready for you in the show notes. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yes, thank you thank guys. You. We Bless love you. you. <laughs> Same. And why though we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.